Welcome everyone to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmy. I'm happy to welcome two authors to the podcast today. Kathy Gents and Terry Spate are the co-authors of The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City. Kathy Gents is the editor and publisher of Washington Gardener Magazine and the host of the Garden DC podcast, as in Washington DC. Terry Spate runs her gardening business, Cottage in the Court, and is the former head gardener for the city of Fredericksburg, Virginia, and one of the founding farmers of the ICSA, Stafford County's first transitional organic CSA farm. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Well, you're both in D.C., am I not correct? Well, I'm in Maryland. You are in yep. Maryland. Okay. A sleepy suburb on the edge of D.C. <laughs> I know the Beltway runs through that area. So right. I, I spent a fair amount of time there uh, well, years and years and years ago. It's been a long time. So yep. what is happening in your gardens right now? Let's start with Terry. Well, right now, the Peony Show is beginning. I'm so jealous. Oh man, <laughs> I came home from work yesterday and there's a beautiful pinkish ivory one and it was waving. I couldn't get past it to get in the house. So <laughs> I cut it and put it in a vase on my desk at work. And the irises are also beginning, the clematis. So the spring, what I call garden show is in full swing. It's on. And um, and I'm jealous because we can't grow peonies where I live, nor clematis really doesn't work here either. It's just too hot and dry. So I'm so jealous, sad. jealous, jealous. But, uh, and oh, Kathy, how about you? What have you got growing on? So on the edible side of things, uh, we just harvested lettuce and radishes. So, and the peas are starting to flower. So I'm looking forward to them coming in. And on the ornamental side of things, just like Terry, I'm waiting for my peony show. I went yesterday out and there are fat balls. They're at that marshmallow stage. So I was like squishing them to see which ones I could cut. And then I was like, one more day, one more day on those. <laughs> my clematis, I have a silver moon, which is like a shade blooming clematis Ooh. on each side of my gazebo. And that has never looked better, like at least 50 blooms on each of them. And people are stopping by and like saying, are those real flowers? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I just went out there and glued a ton of flowers on those vines. <laughs> oh man, that sounds wonderful. Um, and I didn't know there was a trick to deciding when to pick peonies, I guess, because I've never really grown them before. So you, you, you called it the marshmallow stage. How does that work? Yeah, so they, the, the ball at the tip, the little bloom, it's hard as a rock when it's forming and then it starts to soften. So all you have to do, like it's the texture of a marshmallow, then you know it's the perfect stage to cut and will fully open. If you cut it before that, you're not gonna get that full gorgeous bloom coming open. It'll just kind of sit and then it just kind of like flops over in the base and doesn't come to full bloom. But that's something that uh, florists learn also because they can preserve it at that marshmallow stage. Like right when it hits that, you can put it in a fridge or, or keep it in cold storage mm. at that stage for months, which I've always bemoaned the fact that, that you only get a couple weeks of bloom out of peonies, but that's one way to stretch it out. Got it. All right. Now, how big of a space do each of you have to work with? Kathy, you go first. 
Sure. So I'm on this really funny urban corner pie wedge, like a pizza pie wedge um, that sticks out to a point um, where two major roads connect. So I have a house sitting in the middle of that pie wedge, if you can imagine that, and intensely garden all around it with some big major oak trees on one side, making very dry shade and then full sun on the other side where the traffic corner is. Um, so that's a little less than a quarter acre altogether of growing space there. And then diagonally across the street, I have a community garden plot and that's where most of my edibles are. And that's about a 10 by 20 space. It starts to get a little, I'm going to say it's inching bigger every year. <laughs> Isn't that always what happens? Uh -huh. right? Terry, how about you? What's your space look like? Well, I'm on a third of an acre, but the back of it is uh, wooded. Half of the back is wooded. So most of my gardening up until this year has been in the front. Mm. Now I'm going native and cut flowery in the back. So about a third of an acre. I might take one more tree out. I'm not sure yet. I'm so jealous right now. Um <laughs> what I wouldn't give for, I, I'm looking around for like my two acres, but I would honestly, I think a half acre would do me just fine, uh, mm -hmm. but still. Okay, so when you wrote this book, uh, well, I, I will get to, we'll get to how this book came up, but I'm wondering, uh, remind me to ask you again when we get there about how your own yards influenced this, this creation of this book. So, but before that, Terry, how did you start gardening or how did gardening come to you? Um, well, my family background is sharecropping down south, but mm -hmm. honestly, I got my gardening from my parents. Um, my dad reminded me that I was a girl and that I could not, you know, do things like cut the grass and help him in the garden, dig holes and things. And I just remember sitting on the front step when we lived in D.C. going one day. I'm a garden on my own and nobody's going to tell me no. And I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I moved to Fredericksburg, I was married and, and had my girls and the backyard, I turned into my garden. So what evolved out of my dad saying no, because you're a girl, right. evolved into us really um, butchering some Latin. <laughs> say it was one way and I would say it was another way on the carport but then at the end of the day we just continued to garden together so my parents my, my mom did let me plant seeds which was so sweet <laughs> no. I wanted to dig right you had you had in your mind you were up to your elbows and dirt and no one would yeah. let you be that way yeah yeah my Got mom it. was like just put these in the ground and water them I was like oh my this is so boring but <laughs> You know, I wanted to be what my dad and my brother was, was doing, but it all worked out in the end. <laughs> that so reminds me of, I was a Girl Scout and a Brownie, and I was so jealous of my brother who was a Boy Scout, and they were going on like 50 mile backpacking trips, and we were making macrame, and I thought that exactly. was so wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. All right. So we digress. Kathy, how about you? How did, have you always gardened, or did, did that come later in life? Both sides of my family are farmers and gardeners going a while back. And so I was raised in both grandparents' gardens and I did not love it when I was a child, I have to admit. <laughs> I liked the benefits of it. You know, I liked eating fresh things. I liked 
playing with flowers and, and arranging flowers, but the actual weeding and watering was not a favorite chore of mine. <laughs> I would much rather have been inside reading my Trixie Belden novels from dusk till dawn and <laughs> staying up all night with the flashlight under the covers and then sleep <laughs> through the day. I was like, sunlight, who needs that? Uh, but, but it was, it's like everybody, it's like, you know, the chlorophyll gets in your veins through osmosis and you learn it all doing it. And then once you get your own place, I bought a condo and I started to garden the entire walkout patio and into the common area. So that's definitely a, a lesson for small space gardeners is take over what space you're allowed to until you got your hand slapped like mine was slapped by the condo association and said, nope, that's not your land anymore, Kathy, you're outside your borders. <laughs> and right. that's when I started to look for a small house, a place where I could garden, where nobody could say, nope, that's not your space. And Easy, yeah. It, yeah, easier and to ask forgiveness it. than permission. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Uh, so let's start talking about this book now. So who came up with the idea for the urban garden? So this came to both of us through Jessica Walliser at Cool Springs Press Cordo Group. And she approached Terry and I as co-writers to do it together, knowing that both of us are small space urban gardeners, and that's a specialty and passion of both of ours. And that it was with this concept of 101 ideas so that it would be inventive, inspirational. Um, it's not like a book that you read from beginning to end and tells you every step of how to create an urban garden. That's not what the book is. The book is something you can dive into and grab an idea and implement it on a weekend and then come back a month later and pick another idea out. So it's meant to just be kind of dip in and out and flip through and pick out what you want to do. Yeah, and I got that as I was reading the book it's got a lot of clever ideas about, especially about growing in containers, which a lot of apartment dwellers and urban dwellers are limited to. There's even a photo of someone growing blueberries and strawberries in metal beer kegs, which I thought was really, really <laughs> industrious. And so this, this next question is a two-parter. Uh, what are some of your favorite things to grow in containers and do you have a preferred type of container to grow in? So let's start with Kathy on that one. So my favorite containers that I like to uh, tell people to find because they're not the easiest to find are these extruded plastic double wall containers. So they have a kind of an air pocket of insulation in between. So you've got like the thin wall plastics but the double wall for us, we have a lot of freeze thaw in the spring and the fall where it goes back from winter to summer and then back to winter and summer. So we have a lot of back and forth. Um, so that's really hard on ceramic and terracotta pots. They tend to crack. And that's, of course, hard on the plants roots and everything else. And I, the other thing I always recommend is the bigger you can, the better. So 24 inch diameter, 36 inch diameter. So a lot easier to garden in something that's a group of plants than, you know, a collection of 10 four inch pots, you know, lined up along your patio edge, they're going to dry out in two seconds on you. Right. And favorite things to grow in those things? Yeah, I would say I like to mix herbs with annual flowers a lot. That's, that's what I'm doing now. That's my favorite thing is to pick like a 
purple basil and match that with the coleus and some maybe some wave petunia like the night skies series that's always fun to do so that you know you come up on the container and you smell something really great and then you're like oh what is that in there but then you're looking at the flowers and the beauty of them as well yeah and terry how about you do you have a favorite container you like to recommend to people or grow in yourself um, I, I grow a lot in smart pots. I love smart pots. I, I just, and, and recycled, anything I find recycled oh. because it adds character to my garden. Do you have a, what, um, what do you recycle the most or what do you find that you use the most or if there is? Yeah. Um, it can be, honestly, it can be anything from a coffee can mm-hmm. from the 1950s. I'm really serious. Yeah. I love finding what I call roadside treasures mm-hmm. because they just, they just add beauty in a in an uncanny kind of way. Not to I mean, not to be funny, but it just adds a little bit of like, oh, that's kind of funky. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, you know. Yeah. But smart pots, I do a lot in smart pots. Um, a lot of vegetables that I grow at home, like my peppers, I pretty much always use smart pots for those. And the reason why, or, or like the sacred tomato, like this pineapple tomato I got the other day, is like, yeah. I use the smart pots because at the end of the season, I can dump that soil out, put that container away, mm-hmm. and my terrace still looks presentable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it gets me through the winter because in the wintertime, I've got some pots with bulbs in them. So I might put a pansy or two in it, and that's fine for winter. But then come spring and summer, I like to create garden rooms on my containers, on my uh, patio, and it's easy to do with the smart pots. So garden rooms, like you're you're outlining a space and then putting so so you can go into it. Is that what you mean yeah. by a garden room? Yeah. Like one side of my terrace is the grill area. So <laughs> I've got herbs. I mean, I think that's funny. Uh, I'll tell you how I I'm gonna I'm making a creative partition, so to speak, um, from an idea in the book. But one side is where the grill is, uh, and honestly, a table, smaller table and a chair. So that when I'm grilling, I can also bring my computer outside and write, or I can read, you know, or I can have dinner. And then the other side is kind of for entertaining. Nice. So it's more more flowers and beauty on that side. And I love that you can use something as portable as smart pots to create that. That's really great. Yep. Yep. Now I'm curious to know on the technical side of writing this book, how did you divide up the tasks? Did each of you have a specialty that was fun to focus on? Terry, you first. Um, pretty much, you know, I, I found that I helped found an organic farm. So gardening for food, I love doing it, but I am absolutely captivated by the art of growing for beauty especially being a working woman and knowing that when I come home in the evening, I don't always want to pick produce. Mm-hmm. I want to see beauty around me. And I figured this out during the pandemic when we were working from home. Mm-hmm. And every time I went out to the terrace, all I was doing was picking peppers, harvesting lettuce, picking tomatoes. <laughs> and it was like, hold up. This has become work, not fun. So I have totally devised that. I actually am co-chair of a community garden now where I will grow most of my stuff. I cannot put my shishito peppers there because I love shishito peppers. Mm -hmm. So they'll be here at home, but I'll mix them in with the beauty and on the grilling side, because you can pop them on the grill 
make them blister and you're done. Yeah. So it's a whole different concept. Um, so I pretty much focus on the beauty because beauty is important. I love the pretty. I, I totally hear you. And <laughs> I know what it's like to have to spend an hour processing what you bring home from the community garden. It's just a lot of work sometimes. So, uh, so okay, Kathy, what was your uh, specialty that you feel like you, you brought to this book? Yeah, so we divided up the chapters and techniques by the ones that we liked best. We all we made an Excel spreadsheet, mm -hmm. and then each of us put our initials next to the ones we loved, and it worked perfectly, actually. <laughs> like We didn't have too much overlap, and there was maybe three or four that we were like, yeah, either of us can do it. We don't feel passionate about it, but I'll, I'll take it. And those ones I actually found the most fun to do because they weren't things that I really gravitated to. Um, so th those were great to do. And I would Can say Terry did more of the design and overall like the theme ones. And then I did more specific projects. So uh, we're describing, um, you know, making something in your garden from scratch or a trellis or something like that. Got it. It just sounds like fun collaborative effort that really just flowed together nicely. And the book feels really seamless in that way, that the voice is clear all the way through that it's both of you. So it was nice. Well done, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So there's also a lot of vertical gardening and hanging baskets that are a part of the ideas because, you know, when you're in a small space, you need to utilize every element you can. Um, and so I was curious, did you, either of you discover something new while you were researching these design ideas? Kathy, you go first. Yeah, so from the vertical ones, uh, the biggest thing that I was looking out for is a more how you could do vines that overlapped with, you, with each other and played well together. So I'm still doing a lot of research on that. I don't know that we <laughs> were able to find good um, examples of that. One thing in the book that we weren't allowed to do, I guess we'll say, or permitted to do because it's an international edition is too many specific plant suggestions. Mm -hmm. But I know that when Terry and I are giving talks about the book, we're happy to share our suggestions tailored for the audience that we're talking to. So, you know, if you're in a certain region of the country, we can give you some plant tips. So, that's one of the things that I'm always looking at is, you know, vines that will play well together and won't ramp over each other and completely demolish the other one. Yeah. And we have, so we have a pretty inner, uh, I have a national audience and we also have people listening in Australia and some mm -hmm. of the, some of the UK. So if you feel like sharing any of those plant specifics, I think people would be willing to listen. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, say two vines that I think play really well together. Um, your classic for on the ornamental side is, you know, to let clematis run through a small tree. So if you had a small tree in a pot, like a dogwood or some type of ornamental tree like that, you know, that one is not going to smother the tree. It's not going to take out the leaves on top and smother that. And then it'll have sporadic blooms that people will say, hey, what's that blooming in there? So that's on the ornamental side. Mm -hmm. On the edible side, um, peas are generally well-behaved and the vining generally really thick um and one of my favorite peas to grow are the purple potted um that's because you can pick them out you don't have to wear your reading glasses into the garden and find the peas amongst the vines so that's always nice and i like to grow peas up 
um, the sides of any other plant that I can. So anything that can grow tall or, you know, any little small trellis, you don't have to specifically create a trellis uh, for that in the, in the edible garden. Yeah. And I, I really like, I've grew magnolia peas this year. And uh, mm -hmm. there was another one that from uh, uh, row seven seeds, it was a trial purple pea, purple potted pea that stained my hands like crazy when I picked it, but I loved it. It was great. Mm. Green, green on the inside, but the pods are purple. Anyway. Um, all right. It is tip time. Do you have each a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? I would say my, my favorite tip is when you are planning your garden, think about the seasons. Think about is there something I can grow in the wintertime that's going to, I mean, if you're into blooms, like I said, I'm all about the pretty. Mm -hmm. Is there something you can grow in the wintertime that's going to bloom? And then is it going to take you into early spring, spring, summer, fall? So in my garden, I've got sarcocoa that blooms and is fragrant in February here. And at the same time, the hellebore are budding up and then they open as soon as you can no longer smell that sarcocoa. And then as the hellebore finishes, then the dogwood comes up and then the peonies. So it really is like a floral symphony in my garden. A lot of people ask that wonderful question that I, I hate to disappoint them. What can I grow in my garden that blooms all year long? Oi. <laughs> you, you can't. No, you know, let, let's be honest. I yeah. hate, I mean, I want to hand out a box of tissue. No, <laughs> you have to do sequential bloom and it's okay because it keeps it exciting. So that's my tip. Think about the seasons. If you're into blooms or fragrance, think about what is it that's going to fulfill that, that uh, need in your garden for you to enjoy it all the time. And do you have, I'm just curious because you said winter and blooming and I thought crocus immediately. So do you have any favorite bulbs that you like to grow that, or anything that, that, uh, you know, you like to throw in, in between perennials? My camellias take me <laughs> when, when, when autumn comes and everything starts, you know, going dormant, <clears throat> it's just like us. We all need rest. Mm -hmm. So the garden needs to rest. Well, then the camellia goes, hold up a minute. Mm -hmm. Let me give you some beauty. It's going to get you through the winter. So the camellias, and from the camellias, really, it's the sarcocoa, mm -hmm. Daphne, dogwood. I mean, it really, you know, if you do the research, depending on your zone and your conditions, um, I mean, I'm just getting finished enjoying my camellia LA. It's red camellias. And I just put the leaves on that side and the picture I have of it is amazing. It's like, is that my yard? Because <laughs> it really just kind of helped me wander back to the back and go, oh, whoa, I got work to do. Mm -hmm. But it's that small garden, that small, narrow walkway that leads me to a bigger space. So I use my impact in the front and then in the back, we'll see how it turns out. Okay. And Kathy? Well, I was just going to chip in with um, a bulb choice for overwinter. Sure. And that's snowdrops, oh. the galanthus, because there are some specialty ones that can go from late fall to early winter through midwinter here. 
they might cost you a little bit more. <laughs> the common snowdrops are generally around late February-ish for us, but the ones that kind of bridge that fall into winter season, those are the nice collector ones. And, you know, they're so tiny, they can be tucked in any space. So they're, those are nice. Nice. And what's your tip? Yeah, so for tips, since uh, Terry gave an ornamental tip, I'll give an edible one. And so that's right now in the Mid-Atlantic, everybody's getting their pepper and tomato seedlings from their local garden center, or they started them indoors. So you're going to want to put them out and plant them. And here's the part that's the hardest, and all the gardeners are going to cringe at this. You want to pinch out those flowers and the started <laughs> fruit so it can put its energy into forming roots and then be a much healthier, more prolific plant later in the season. And yep. so I always call it cheating, right? When you go to the garden center and you buy it with a big fruit already formed on that tomato seedling, that doesn't count. That's not your tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't true. claim that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So pinch that off. I know it's super hard to do so to sacrifice that, but it's going to be a much better plant in the end. Awesome. Yes, that is great. And it's, it's a really, it's really important because I know in the nurseries, God bless them, but they often will try and sell the ones that are flowering and fruiting already. Mm -hmm. They're like, yep. this one has fruit on it. I'm like, no, don't get that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or if you do, I mean, it's still a viable plant, but pull all the stuff off. Yeah. Right. So perfect. These are great tips, ladies. Thank you so much for these expert tips, Kathy and Terry, and thank you for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. How should people find you? Let's start with Terry. Where do people go to find you? Just go to cottageinthecourt.com. Uh, Instagram is Cottage in Court, Twitter, Cottage in Court, and Facebook. But honestly, I'm, I'm working in my garden right now, so I'll probably be back online the end of the month because I got a little catching up to do. <laughs> That's right. And you also have another book that I'm going to have to have you on separately for your new book, Black Flora, which I'm really excited to know more about, but we'll get to that another time. Okay. Uh, Kathy, you. how about you? Where, how do we find you? So on most social media, you can find me at WDC Gardener. So that's WDC Gardener, all one word, no spaces or dashes or anything. So that's Instagram and TikTok everywhere. And on Facebook, under my name, and also Washington Gardener Magazine. And our website is washingtongardener.blogspot.com. We post almost every day there. And our weekly podcast is Garden DC. We post new episodes every Saturday. Awesome. All right, garden nerds, you'll find links to The Urban Garden at gardennerd.com this week. We'll also share the latest Washington Gardener Magazine, which may or may not be listing a review of Garden Variety, my new novel, and the websites for both of these authors and all their social media stuff. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening.